this is Jordan Van Trump with Farm Tank. Farm Tank is an organization I formed for individuals and business owners to learn the latest in innovation, execution, and motivation. I believe there's a huge demand for hearing how others have become successful in life. I'll be traveling the world talking to some of the most influential CEOs and founders to help everyone learn and be more successful in their near future. The agricultural community has been extremely grateful to me and my family, so I'd like to do the same for everyone else and share my insights with you. With that, coming to you live with Farm Tank, Jordan Van Trump. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Farm Tank. I'm on here today with my dad, Kevin Van Trump, and we are also very excited to have uh, Matt Chris back on the podcast. We've had him on the show a few times in the past, so I'm not sure a uh, long intro is necessary, but he's currently the CEO and co-founder of Benson Hill. He's also a big part of our uh, FarmCon show, and he plans to be there this January with a lot of other great guests. So with that, I'd like to welcome Matt to the show. Hey, Jordan. Good to, uh, good to hear you, Kevin. Great to be on again. Hey. Super cool, Matt. Yep. Great. Since we, uh, good having you. Since we, spoke, since we spoke last, Jordan, I think Matt and I'm uh, kind of taking off and, and are venturing into the public space with an IPO. Matt, you want to kind of brief us on that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So it's exciting news. We announced on May 10th that, uh, that we're going public. And uh, through a, a SPAC IPO, that we expect to close this quarter, actually. Um, so we've we've executed a definitive merger agreement with a firm called Starpeak Two. Um, it's the second uh, SPAC that they've been a part of. The first one was a company called Stem, uh, which has performed quite well. But they uh, were traded. They're traded. We're traded under STPC now. And uh, when we get this deal done, we'll be BHIL. Um, and and proudly listed on the New York Stock Exchange. So it's a very, very, very exciting time, big milestone for us as a company. Awesome. We're excited. Jordan, uh, did you have a couple of questions from some folks that uh, that may have had some things? Yeah, I was just going to – I was going to ask about the IPO, which we just covered on. Um, I also wanted to – you guys just brought a new uh, – team member on as well, didn't you, from ADM, ADM former oh, yeah. exec? Yeah. yeah, we announced last week uh, Bruce Bennett joined. He's the former head of, of global protein at, at ADM and had a, a range of positions there across wellness and specialty ingredients, and um, and he's, and he's a, a terrific guy. I mean, he's a, a tremendous add to the team. We've, we've hired him as our new president of our ingredients business, uh, which is uh, – you know the the fastest growing segment of of Benson Hill, principally driven by the the proprietary soy portfolio as well as Yellow Pea, which will be online commercially in the medium term. So um, he's he's driving, uh, building and driving those businesses, and in a in a in a, in a hit the ground running kind of way. He's already engaged um, here with us in the office in St. Louis, and um, yeah, I just, I'm, we're just super excited to have him on board. Really really quality guy. Um, super high caliber, holistic understanding of the space, and he'll oversee all of the commercial and operational realms that that, that we execute across the supply chain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. it seemed like a good ad, so I wanted to have you touch on that as well. But, yeah, let's jump into a little bit about uh, what some of our listeners probably want to hear. Um, I know we do a lot with uh, you guys with the non-GMO beans, and I saw we exceeded our previous target um, doubling our acres last year. 
I've been uh, starting to make some calls on the 2022 crop. I think we're getting close to getting everything finalized in the next few weeks or so, it sounds like. But uh, what did we hit last year? 70,000 acres in total. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. I mean, you know, we last year was 30,000 acres in the 2020 crop. Um, we wanted to try to double that this year, which is a pretty bold goal. That's one of Benson Hill's core values, be bold. And um, uh, Kathy Flory is on the team, um, you know, led a group that, that really helped um, push that goal up and, um, or rather exceed that goal. And 70,000 acres, um, you know, is what we announced just, just very recently. Um, and then to your point, you know, we want to keep growing and we've got the demand side in place. So, you know, we're gearing up now to recruit for 2022. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're super excited. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Gordon, I'll interject there. Okay. So, you know, I think Kathy and the group, you guys are so, I mean, that's, she's, she's awesome. And I called Matt check around with, you know, our producers who are, growing the beans or who had grown uh, this year's round of beans and even last year. And I'm not trying to toot your horn or, or, or blow any smoke, but all of my producers, I think only one may have not re-upped, but all of them said they loved your guys' back end. Uh, they, they really haven't had anything better uh, from a transportation side what was done. Uh, there, the delivery uh, mechanisms, you know, the, the trucking, the getting the beans. I even had, I had one of my bigger producers uh, this year got washed out and had to replant. I don't even know if I've talked to you since then, but I think one of your guys met him on a Sunday. He called and he needed it in a hurry. I think one of them drove like five or six hours and met him halfway. <laughs> He's like, I'm never seen He's like, I've never seen anything like that in my life. He's like, I love these guys. So I know you guys are trying to grow and gain market share, and I know that's one of your biggest goals, and I think Kathy's done a fabulous job, and you guys on the back end. And what I think a lot of people miss, you know, they race out there and they try and sell yield, and they try and sell this, or they try and sell a premium. And when I, from a farmer's perspective, it's when they drop the ball on that back end that just really pisses them off, and then they don't want to do it again. So I'm telling you guys, you, you stay hammering it right there on the and, and keeping that back end so solid like that. I think we're just going to continue to see more and more growth and and more producers want to jump on and uh, be a part of it. So, you know, we're yeah. we're happy to help promote you guys and, and help help you guys gain as many acres as possible because I've heard no no back slack just to let you know on anything uh, that you guys are doing from from the back end standpoint. So, you know, that's all. Yeah. Well, I re hey, I really appreciate that feedback. I'm going to share yeah. it as well with the team. I mean, hey, I, I, I've heard a couple of these stories trickle through, and, and not from our team, actually, just from people in the space. So it makes me really proud of the group. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a high-touch, it's a relationship, it's a high-touch engagement. It's something we're really passionate about. And, um, and you know, our goal isn't to go – um, you know, be on tens of millions of acres. I mean, we've got we've got the demand side for for premium beans. We're growing very, very, uh, um, you know, commercially valuable uh, product, and it requires you know a, a more intimate, I think, touch point set of relationships 
uh, with folks out there, and 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 as we call our you know our growers, we call them our partners. It's not you know these are not folks where there's a unilateral relationship, a customer relationship. It's really a bilateral relationship because we're contracting with them for you know for production, and that production is moving through the the value chain and. That that additional value, of course, that we capture after the farm gate is, um, is is what's appealing and what we can bring back to the farm. So to your point, it's it's yes, yield is super important and, and the agronomy is super important, and we've got a team of folks around that. But um, but 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 as important, you know, in these cases are things like protein and nutrition density and ultimately profit per acre. No, yeah, mm-hmm. I I agree. I, I agree with that. Um, it's interesting to me, you know, and to everyone, you know, let everyone know the different varieties and the different seed varieties, uh, there's different premiums on some, you know, maybe a $3 premium overboard price, someone $4. Pre- I mean, so Matt and them have different things uh, for different areas, different locations, different growers. So it isn't just, uh, you know, a one-stop shop on a, on a certain type of uh Item. So I think everyone kind of needs to keep that in mind as well. Um, what, what, Jordan, what, was we, what were we talking about? Remember we were talking about, Matt, what, what did you want to touch a little bit about the peas, Matt? What, what may be coming down the pipe with that? One thing on the beans, though, too, I've been talking to some guys lately. I wanted to pick your brain on it and just uh, some, just some guys interested. I know there's a lot of guys interested. And just one of the bigger issues – um, I'm running into or people are saying, I guess, is uh, you run into producer, they'd be like, well, hell, if beans were under $10, then I'd definitely be interested in growing um, some of these premiums. So, I mean, you're getting 250 to 350 over the board price. So I was just wondering your thoughts on all that. Just yeah, your thoughts yeah, on the mindset. Yeah. Right, right. You know, it, we find that there's a there's a calculus to it, of course, and sitting down with you know with different growers with different, uh, you know, if it's fifteen dollar bean or or, or ten dollar beans, um, there is a different math to it where you see some you do see some uh, um, movement on, from a premium standpoint, you know, in order to create the the return on investment profile that's that's desired. I would tell you though, overall. Um, you know, we're having uh, the significant majority of folks re-up in, and not just on the same number of acreage, but expanding what it is that they're working on with us. And that's year to year, you know, from, <laughs> I mean, where were we last year? 850, I think. Um, and, you know, we were in the prime here north of $14, $15. So, you know, I, I'd, I'd say that there's a stickiness to it that I hope is overcoming some of the price inflation there. Um, but, you know, the, the acreage numbers at the end of the day, you know, are, are and, the, and the product mix, you know, are the principal targets for us. And to the extent that, you know, things may be tighter in certain margins, may be tighter in certain products, you know, we can always uh, scale back or toggle back on those acreage. We're really fortunate um, this year to be taking out the, the ultra-high protein beans as part of the portfolio. That we call it UHP, you guys remember. And, and in that case, you, know, you can actually get rid of some of the processing. And in, that, in, in those scenarios with the protein density as high as it is, you know, it's, a, it's a very, very valuable product that we're taking into a, to an exploding market category. So that's part of it. And then, Kevin, I mean, back to your other point, you know, in, terms of, 
in terms of diversity of varieties, you know, it's, it's, always, it's always important to point out that um, this isn't just across product classes either, but we've got, um, you know, really, really solid material in the twos all the way through the, the you know, mid to late fours. And, um, and that's, that's actually helping us a great deal, you know, to create some of the, you know, de- you know de-risk across regions and entertain working with a, a wider, you know, wider group of growers across, uh, across more geographies. So there's, there's, a few, there's a few sort of axes to that portfolio that our team has really done a nice job building out there too. So let, let me get straight, Matt, and the business on the revenue side or the business model side. You're having end users, whoever it may be, that wants a certain type of bean grown or a certain type of crush or percent of protein taken out during the crush or, or, or you know, through the processing. And then you guys create the genetics for that. Is that what I understand? Yeah, exactly. It's a big feedback feedback loop, right? There's protein density, but, you know, we also – I mean, there's over 100 people in the building right now, you know, working on everything from, you know, the the machine learning informed stimulation for breeding varieties to, you know, using genomic selection and other genomics tools to um, uh, doing the actual um, phenotyping of the crops in the greenhouses and the growth chambers and the and the and the cycling, all the way down to you know, looking at secondary metabolites and taste and flavor and and how these different varieties um fare, you know fare in terms of uh sensory analysis and um what consumers desire and and when you're you know these food companies there's a lot of very sophisticated ones who look at these analyses and taste and flavor nutrition density amino acid profiles etc and and you can essentially work with them on the menu of opportunities that you can go back to the genetics and grow the seed better from the beginning, right? So get rid of the need to, you know, use as many additives or as much processing. And if you can grow the bean that you want, you know, we joke sometimes, it's like you're a step or two shy of, you know, growing the alternative plant-based burger in the field, you know. <laughs> if you, the, the more whole you can make the ingredient, the more affordable you can, you know, and, and the more clean effectively you can create, um, you know, the solution, the ultimate food. It might. So you guys also do genetics, so for other seed companies too, correct? Some, you know. I mean, so, we're we're most interested. Yeah, I mean, we're most interested in in right now the current product portfolio, and you know, we over over the years have done some licensing of the tech, and um, you know, we've we've had various folks utilize some aspects of the platform for different crops. But, you know, our principal investment area right now is, is really on ensuring that we can hit some, you know, some doubles and some home runs off of the, you know, off of the product portfolios and soy. And then you mentioned yellow pea, which is coming down the pike, and we're super excited about that as another, another legume, another, another nice protein crop as well. So, so as an investor, what is it that – we're most wanting to see happen gain more acres get more end users that want to source your science and technology and create more seed different varieties Is I, that the- yeah i mean i'd say you, in, in the in the foreseeable future the the real 
key indicators, you know, the, the performance indicators of success do lead back to ultimately to acreage. But, you know, of course, because acreage is really a sign of your production. You know, the acreage we plant this year, now, you know, 70,000 proprietary soy acres, that informs what our 2022 revenue numbers look like. Because ultimately, you know, we'll go, we'll, we'll harvest, we'll, we'll, we'll crush, and then we'll move ingredients through the supply chain to, to customers. But we don't put that into the budget and, you know, to realize that revenue really until 2022. So we're carrying that through the chain and, and as an indicator of success for sure, acreage, and this is why it's a big milestone we announced a couple of weeks ago, right? Because, you know, previously when we published all of our information with the SEC and in May and, um, you know, continued to populate on our investor website, um, you know, a, a, a nice body of information. You know, we're publishing on what we expect to contract, what we expect to grow, what we expect from a revenue perspective. And, you know, the, the tip of the spear here is that relationship with the grower and being able to get on those acres, which informs the volumes, which informs, you know, what we're able to move through the channel. Um, so, it, yeah, it's, it's definitely all linked together and certainly a, a, a nice linkage, of course, from acreage to ultimate revenue. So what uh, – I got another one, Jordan, real quick. What, what are you guys seeing on the dislocation side as far as maybe transportation hiccups? Is inflation have you worried as a CEO? What, you know, input-wise, are you seeing prices start to escalate? What, what are you thinking on inflation? <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, so the, some of these things I think cause stress in the system, um, and and for sure, you know, we understand there's some supply chain struggles. I'll say that net net though, um, the, the supply chain, and I'm going to say global supply chain disruptions for a second to put this in context, have got a lot of our customers um, and folks downstream in the value chain um, pretty worried, right? I mean. We, we run a, a really efficient system, but there are dependencies on, on how trade moves that our food system is built on. And we've been asked more in the last year about where we're producing a crop than ever, right? Is it all produced here? Is it all domestic? Is it all, quote, unquote, local? Because, you know, if there's dependencies that exist on international supply chains from some of these companies, they are they're really actively looking to alleviate that and, and reduce risk. Um, and I think that's good for the U.S. farmer. I mean, you know, it, but, but it, at the same time, um, it, it's tending to be linked to these more, um, I, so, I sometimes don't like to use this word, but I'm going to use it, specialty markets, right, where um, you've, got a, you've got a closed-loop production system, you've got, traceability in the supply chain. You've got a grower on contract to, do, to, to you know, preserve the identity of a crop. Um, that's a way, that's a mechanism for us to pass back that demand to the grower, you know, to have this closed-loop system. Um, so so I, think those, I think those macro trends on a net basis are, are good for our business. Um, inflation, you know, just generally speaking, does worry me a little bit. I mean, as a, just a general cue, right, for um, rates running away. And we're making some some investments, of course, in the coming months and years uh, in the business. And 
um, we're all really enjoying this nice low cost of capital that is one of the rationale for us entering the public markets. So I hate to see that spike and get away from us, but um, you know, I, I, I'm maintaining some just kind of cautionary um, views right now as to how how that might unfold. I, I, you tell me though, Kevin. I mean, I'd love to hear more your views of the inflation side of this in particular. But you know, if, if you if you think my point about this supply chain dislocation is a net net, you know, is a possible positive for the U.S. grower. Yeah, I'm. You know, I think definitely the supply chain. You know, people bringing things, reeling them back in, so to speak, globally. Uh, I think is is big. I think that's a, a win for the for the grower for sure. I you know, I battle and I'm constantly in debates. It seems like over this inflation thing with several of my longer term uh, friends, traders, investors, and you know, I. I I hate to say the same thing I've said lately. I mean, it's a it's it's you become old bears and young bulls, and uh, I just say it so much anymore. It's it's almost silly. Uh, as we get older, you know, you just get more bearish, and uh, you want to believe in higher inflation, and you're more bearish. You're just and, and in my my head, it's because we don't understand it. We we. We don't understand a lot of the changes that have taken place and a lot of the, the differences, so we become more pessimistic and more bearish where the younger kids are more bullish and, you know, they, they see opportunities and uh, where, where we don't. And I tell people it's very similar in this inflation type. That you, you talk to older, some of my older investor friends, uh, they're, you know, they're geared up you know, gold, shotguns, canned goods, and a uh, bin full of corn. I mean, they 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 believe these are the worst times. You know, America is in big trouble, and that uh, you know that inflation is going to rip, and you could see hyperplay. I you know, I don't see that. I mean, you've seen you know, hell, violent crimes way below where it was uh, in the '80s, and you've seen a lot of things uh, improve. Uh, our kids these days are, are a lot smarter than our kids were when we grew up. And uh, I, you know, and from an inflation's perspective, it's kind of the same. A lot of the old things are seeing inflation, but the new world things are seeing massive deflation. Uh, solar energy, way cheaper. Wind energy, way cheaper. Computer chips, way cheaper. TVs, way cheaper. Anything to do with memory in the computer, way cheaper. Anything to do with cloud computing, way cheaper. So anything to do with the way we're going to move forward in life, it's all getting cheaper. You know, crude oil, yeah, it may go yeah. higher even from here. I, I you know, it can, I got a chance. I was long some crude. Hell, it may go back to a hundred bucks a, a a barrel because nobody's doing any new exploration right now. I mean, everyone sees the writing on the wall to some degree. So. You've cut back on, I'm not saying everyone's doing no exploration, but it, you've limited down your exploration. So in these dying entities, which we older people perceive uh, as our life, yeah, yeah you're going to see higher inflation probably. Uh, but with the newer yeah. things, uh, you're probably not going to see higher inflation. In fact, you'll probably battle more deflation. So, you know, I think that's, you know, it's, it's so hard as we get older and we want to reference what we know is to be true in the past to make decisions about the future. So, you know, Matt, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm super optimistic about the future. I think, 
you know, I think the kids are going to have a much different perspective and view than I had and that I had growing up, which, you know, I may not like some of it, but it, it, I think it's, you know, it's probably going to make the world a better place. I think longevity of life mm-hmm. is going to continue to increase. I think, you, you're, you know, it's just going to be different. That's all I can say. And I know some people aren't going to like it, uh, but it, but it is what it is. And so as investors or or leaders of companies, you know, we have to change and shift uh, as as more and more of the younger kids come in. You see that in your own business, I'm sure. And uh, it, it's it's interesting. So it's tough to, you know, it's 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 tough to, uh, <laughs> I guess, to think in all those different perspectives. You get stuck out there, especially you know when you're stuck in a small rural area. Not stuck, I should say. You know, it's where you pick. It's where you want to live. So you enjoy the life and the lifestyle. But if you don't get a lot of other altering perspectives or people in your business that will challenge you or people on the farm that are going to challenge you and you're saying, hey, hey it's, it's easy to get locked in. So I just, you know, I, I constantly try to push everyone and challenge everybody to, like, see both sides of this thing and uh, and see that you're going to have the new coming in and, and the old going out. So it's going to be interesting yeah. how things change. And you guys are seeing that for sure on your end with with the specialty crops. Yeah. And, well, and I, it, I it, the linkage. Stay. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, I'm just saying, I think that is here to stay. I think spending has shifted and changed where the boomers brought in the fast food and, uh, you know, get as many calories as you can for as little money as you can. And it was more about, you know, it was just brought up different and uh, you ate different and you made your selections to eat differently and we're definitely seeing a push where kids have changed their spending habits and they're wanting different type of food and they're going to alter what they spend and to accommodate that they're going to they don't have a problem buying a ten dollar burrito or twelve dollar burrito from Fulte, uh where you know hey we may have been buying a dollar burrito from taco bell so <laughs> i'm just saying <laughs> it's a big difference so and there's I remember the spending. three for three for three dollars. <laughs> you got it, buddy. <laughs> so I don't know. You know, it's hard to understand for a lot of us, but I see it happening, and it and and I think it's for real. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. I like that you pointed out this this linkage of innovation to deflationary, right? You know, pressure because we. We are. I think we're going to see more and more. I mean, especially in the protein ingredient category, where you've actually got because of the explosive demand in the in the segment of the market, you've actually got uh, exacerbated. By the way, um, you know, by just general inflationary pressure, you've got rapidly climbing prices, and and it is cascading through to the to the um, to the consumer. I have a hard time seeing, as as some folks believe that that's all transitory. Frankly. Um, I think some of it's probably it is a little overburnt. I mean, I think you use that term, but but you know, for a company like us who's trying to rip costs out of the system through innovation, I mean, we're investing you know forty to fifty million dollars a year just in research and development to to make you know higher quality crops, and <laughs> that results invariably in a better bean in the case of you know what's currently out. And other and other crops um, better from the beginning, we like to say, right? Where you can actually rip costs out of the system, 
and and so there there is and will continue to be a deflationary force like i think you're you're perfectly pointing out in the industries that um are considered innovative more cutting edge right and um you know yield more total you know total value but ideally you know, spread across the chain you, you know i jordan and i talk about this a lot and i talk about this with soren uh Shredded. Some of my other friends that were CEOs of, of, of some of the big, large uh, ag companies, and we we talk, and, and you know, obviously technology we all know brings transparency and eventually brings ultimate transparency. Uh, and we we feel that there's been there's no other industry, in our opinion, that was as fragmented and had built bigger walls than in the ag space, and the walls meaning whether it's proprietary rights to seed technology, whatever it may be. I mean, but there were a lot of brand loyalty walls. There were a lot of just high fences and high walls built in agriculture with a ton of fragmentation. And when you have that set up in an industry and then technology starts to overwhelm it with transparency, you have a lot of apple carts getting upset and a lot of change that will come about. So as we see technology pour over the walls and bring that transparency, uh, I think you're going to see more and more big change in agriculture. And, you know, I think you saw, you know, you saw it somewhat in, and think about the automotive space with the brand loyalty that was with a Ford, a GM, a Chevy, you know, a Dodge, a Toyota, Honda and how they built that brand loyalty and how they built the walls and how they inseparated it. And then you get a Tesla come in or you get an EV over the top and bring technology and transparency. And now all of a sudden we we're having some, some, some crazy thoughts. So I, I think you're going to see that uh, in ag more and more as we move forward. So I think it's going to be interesting for sure. Hmm. Who are you excited about on the ag input side? I mean, I know there's some, there's some folks that, that are, you know, becoming, um, you know, <laughs> more you're creating or exploiting your information asymmetry a little bit more boldly, um, you know, through the use of technology. But I'm curious who, what you're seeing out there. Yeah, I mean, it's tough for, you know, oh, you put me on the hot seat on that one. Um, <laughs> I, I have a tough time just for my own business background and I guess I should say like uh, with talking uh, or, or business consulting background where I worked with the folks at GE or uh, Home Depot or some of your bigger CEOs and I've had the chance to really learn from them. I have a hard time going with groups that are going to be what I perceive as low cost provider. And when you pivot your company as a CEO, it, you're, and this is for all businesses, and this is just my, my bit of information I've amassed from, like I said, what I consider the best of the best, you're always being pulled to the right of the continuum, meaning you're always going to be pulled to your low-cost provider uh, area. And that just means you're going to, you know, as a, as a CEO, you're going to, end up wanting to cater to the people that are going to order the most quantity, but you're making the lowest gross. And that ends up pulling you hard that way. 
But as a CEO or a business owner, you get pulled that way, you're in big trouble. And so from an investor standpoint, the companies I see out there who have pivoted numerous, numerous times, and all they've done is land in what I call a low gross space, meaning they're going to try and bring the producer, uh, you know, the lowest cost. And I don't know. I think eventually, you know, that that puts a lot of pressure on them, and eventually they're going to have a hard time winning that game because all all the all a nutrient has to do is turn their turrets a little bit and, and into that sector of low cost producer or low cost provider, and the next thing you're all of a sudden in a war of attrition where you're just cannibalistic. You're eating each other uh, and eating each other's market share. And then someone's going to pop into the space like an Elon Musk. Let's, guys, you can just look. It's an easy example. We can look at computers. We could look at the telecom industry. You could look now at cars. What happens is there's the same cycle. You come into a business. You try and gain market share. You gain market share. Then all of a sudden – the gross is good, then the gross starts to shrink and it pulls you to the right. You become a low-cost provider. And then once you become a low-cost provider, everyone's trying to fight each other for the last little bit of meat left on the bones in that area until someone comes along and creates a new market or a new space, like Elon Musk did for, for easy reference here with the EV market. Now you're seeing bigger mm -hmm. gross margins in EV. You're seeing all the car companies now pivot into that area. Eventually, though, that's going to be flooded, da-da-da-da-da, and then they'll create a new space. That's why Apple's been a genius for so many years. They create new space, whether it was with the iPad, the iPod, the phone. They create those new spaces, and then they tend to pivot early uh, into a new marketplace. So when I see someone come in to the input side of the business, and they take themselves immediately to low-cost provider, well, shit. I, I sit in my head and I'm like, wow, I don't think that's where you want to be because that's, <laughs> that's going to be the death. I mean, that is where all companies go to die. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, when you ask me about who I see on the infant side, I mean, I don't, you know, I see Nutrient. I, I, I speak for them, and I see them trying to create and really build their digital platform, which I think is probably where we head. Uh, you know, like a Disney's digital platform or something of that nature. But I think it's going to create something. It's going to take something outside of that 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 core sphere sphere that where everyone's going to play on some some online field or some online platform that's more universal that allows everyone to participate and play on it. And mm -hmm. until that transparency, you know what I'm saying, Matt? Like it wasn't until yeah. we all had all these crazy cell phones. And everyone had all these different ones, everything. Nothing ever really worked. There was no cool apps no, until really Apple owned the space and Google owned the space. So you just went down to two. And right now, everybody right. has their own digital platform. Everybody has their own, you know, John Deere's trying to do this. Uh, Case is trying to do this. Pioneer's over here doing it. Until all that gets on one or two platforms maybe that everyone can play somewhat nicely on that collectively, to me, that's what it's going to take. I mean, you know, and I, and yeah. I don't know where that's going to come from or how that's going to get out there, but it's, it's going to be tough to survive in a low-cost provider.
space in ag as this technology continues to come on harder and harder. I think anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's interesting. You know, I think when you and I, I sorry, that's go that's where I like your guys' position in the in the in the business. I you know, I think you're in the position where companies you're gonna provide those services to companies that are gonna require you know, some of your higher end science, some of your higher end things, growers will be able to have some margins to to operate and produce in that space and, and the end user's gonna have some margins to, to create in the space as well. So I yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean, we're fortunate to operate in an environment. I mean, take the Apple example of the world, right, where you know, we're creating applications at the seed level and, and we enjoy intellectual property protection. And yeah. that creates a, a moat and an amount of time such that we don't we don't become uh, we don't we're not we're not gravitationally pulled to the right and and to try to compete on you know op, gross operational efficiency, um, which yeah, I agree with you 100%. It's kind of a race to the bottom or a race to consolidation, and mm-hmm. that's why we've been, ended up in some of these industries who have you know gone down this path, of course, with oligopolies or even monopoly types of, of, of settings. You mentioned a book. I was just thinking as you were talking about sort of you know, degrees of differentiation that, you know, and, and sort of the importance of new business for newer generations. You, you told me to read uh, Setting the Table, the Danny Meyer book. I think it was when we spoke last, and I picked that up and read it. Um, and actually through one of our investors um, who hosted him in a and kind of a CEO roundtable had a chance to to listen to him and engage for 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 a little bit, and um, I thought that was really compelling. I mean, to to the point you're making, where you know you think about the experience that customers have and how we as consumers and as business people, um, you know, I think maybe now more than I remember at least, you know, value uh, and are willing to pay for you know, the type of engagement that you have. It doesn't matter if it's in a, in a restaurant or in a, in a business dealing or, um, you know, in a, a, your procurement and, you know, strategy, collaboration, what have you. Um, that, that is a, uh, that's a really important thread of, um, you know, where I hope, you know, food and ag will also go. Yeah, I agree. I listened to Tillman one time to Fertitta, we were on a different call, and I told Jordan, I both those two talked the same thing, and we implemented it here at our business about two or three years ago. I, I think it's made such a profound point. They're like, customer service, hell with customer service. I mean, that, that customer service for us is out. I mean, we don't. I don't even want people to use the term around the office anymore. It's, we provide hospitality, and mm-hmm. I don't care if someone calls in about not getting my report or someone calls in about a question or something. If my people don't provide hospitality, that's how I treat people in my own house and my mom would treat people. Well, then I just blow up. I'm just like, I can't have it. And I don't, I just, you know, I don't, that's one we stand on now. And so to me, it's such a strong difference just in simple terms. Are you providing customer service or are you providing, you know, I think customer service and I feel like I'm standing in line at Walmart waiting to return, you know, it's like something crazy. It's like, I want our people to think in terms of hospitality. And I'm with you. So, you know, it's those simple thoughts and, and thinking a little different and, you know, that can make big, big differences in your business. And, and so that, and I hope people feel that way. And we've heard that a lot when people come to our farm kind of bit. 
not to switch those, but I know you guys are going to be one of the you guys are one of the main sponsors and helping us do it and and make it what we make it each year. And we want to hopefully relay that message to the folks that come. We want to provide hospitality, play a little bit of country music. We try and have some good food. My wife makes sure we have good food, and uh, you know it's just a family run event and. I know you guys have given us a lot of support in the past, and we're looking forward to it yeah. in January. But again, you know, we'll we'll hammer home before the event and just tell everyone to try and provide hospitality to folks. And I think everybody can yeah. use that tip in any of their businesses out there. You know, whether it's a seed business you got or doing things on the farm side. That's why I love you know working with folks in rural America. I think they still have that uh, you know that feeling that that good feeling. So I like that. Right. Right. I think it's a, it's actually a quote on like the cover of that book. It was a Jim Cramer quote, and and I think he said this is the most important business book of our time. And I thought that is a big statement. That is a really big statement. You know, I mean, yeah. th- that guy is freaking brilliant. And yeah. uh, you know, I mean, that's a that's a that's a, 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 a an amazing endorsement. Um, hey, on FarmCon, by the way, uh, we are looking forward to that. Wow. <laughs> I was actually this this uh, came up three or four weeks ago, um, and I was speaking with someone who was considering registering, and I just had to tell you the story. I was with one of my colleagues, and um, and they said, "Yeah, should I go?" And and and, uh, and my colleague she said, uh, "Yeah, it's it's one of those conferences where she's like, uh, I, I, I she said I don't have a comparison because I go to a bunch of conferences and people sort of siphon in and out of the." you know, whatever the main event hall is, right, where the speakers are, et cetera. And she said, this is the kind of place where the content is so good, nobody gets up. <laughs> There's, it's standing room only the whole time whenever somebody's talking. And, and so it's capacity, cram everybody in there, and then and there's no, like, turnover. There's no, um, you know, 100 people in the hallway screwing around or checking their email. They're all sitting there you know, looking and listening and learning and engaging. And uh, it is pretty remarkable what you've been able to build with that. And, and by the way, the, the reason that we're such big supporters and, and, um, and, and, and proponents of what you're pulling off there is because of what I said. It's a super high-quality engagement, um, you know, with a lot of important stakeholders and innovators um, that, you know, we're eager to engage with, you know, more deeply as well. I appreciate it. You know what's funny how that all came about? I always just tell everyone. And, uh, I'd get a bunch of my trading and investors, we'd just get together once a year and tell each other our favorite trade, our favorite investment. And I started having to cut people in. And people would tell me, Matt, to go, oh, you got to go hear this person speak or this person there. I don't really like to travel around all that much. I do because I go speak some and do this. And I'm like, dang, I just hate traveling. I told my wife, I said, I think I'm just going to have people in here and only people I want to hear talk. <laughs> and then I don't have to travel anywhere. I remember we were watching right. like a couple of years ago, was it two or three years ago, I had this, I was watching Jimmy Fallon and this guy started cracking me up. And I told Michelle, I said, hey, call that guy's agent and see if he wants to come into farm con. And, and she's like, why? And I said, because I don't want to travel anywhere to see him. I just want him to come here to my house. And so that's how that all started. I remember I got that CIA, the guy that was director of CIA, I was so excited because I had always wanted to hear him talk. People had told me I needed to hear him talk, and he'd got outed. And, uh, you know, in the Middle East, him and his wife were married, and they were both CIA agents. 
And I remember I wrote him a, a quick little letter. Someone gave me his address, and uh, he responded because he was a former – he was a farmer from Iowa, his parents were, and he always wanted to be a farmer. But he ends up in the CIA. They recruited him and all that jazz. And I, I was so pumped because he immediately responded, and he said, hey, if I get proper security and clearance, I'll come there and speak for you. And I told the kids, and the kids were young, and they're like, Dad, what the hell does that guy have to do with farming or investing? And I said, nothing. I just want to hear him speak, and I, I don't want to travel to hear him, so I want him to come. So that's kind of how the whole event gets going. Jordan's trying this year to get uh, the guy that was Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant's uh, coach, uh, trainer slash psychological coach more than anything. And mm-hmm. he now he's, I think, that Giannis guy. He's his psychological coach. But I just want to hear, and I've heard him speak a couple of times, uh, just – you know, on the higher, higher end people, how he gets them to stay focused, how he gets them to, to do some of the things or, or what are some of the key things he's thinking. So I'm trying to get him to uh, come in. But, man, a lot of these people now, their speaking fees are insane to come in person, you know, after COVID. Everybody, you know, like 50 grand, 100 grand. It's like, wow. So, Whoa. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of them that I, we've called, and they're like, yeah, it's 150000 200 I'm like, jeez. Back off a little. So, that's incredible. Uh, yeah, that's what's like. Wow, I don't know. So we'll, we'll see. Wow. This should be interesting. Well, uh, it's just around the corner. Obviously, you got yeah. any good travel planned in between now and then? I'm supposed to be going down to uh, Texas to speak, and we're supposed to be going to Florida here in a week or two. I don't know. This damn COVID thing. I heard St. Louis. They ramped back up the mask, huh? You you got it. In fact, I walked in today for the first time to the office with a mask on, and I was like, God damn, this is not this. I was. I, it's pretty bad up here. We've got a lot of friends now that I've had a couple that have passed away in the last month, and some, you know, more people are, you know, forty to fifty, kind of seem to be getting hammered pretty. I don't know. It's like, gosh damn, surely this is going to get done. But yeah, yeah, I don't I, know. It's a shame that we don't have higher vaccination rates, and I think what's yeah. happening is the you know these local guys are reacting to the fact that we just don't have enough critical mass of vaccinations, and you know begs the question: at what point is this going to become? I mean, you know, look, I can't send my kids to school without being vaccinated. At what point do we get to you know a place where this is just kind of a, a norm? Um, I don't know. It's a bit of a head scratcher for me, to be honest with you. Um, no, but anyway, <laughs> you know, Carter. I was talking to Carter the other day, and he made an interesting point. I guess you know some people on the far left were making, you know, they were saying, "Oh, it's because of Fox News that people aren't getting vaccinated." And Carter was like, you know, he did some deep dive, and he said, you know, there's only like 4.8 million viewers of Fox News, and five million viewers. I mean, you got 130 million people that are vaccinated, and Right. You know, if, well, okay, well, if Trump would come out and tell you to get vaccinated, would you get vaccinated? And about 85% of the people polled were like, no. And uh, they said, well, if the left came out and told you, you know, would you get vaccinated? And they said, no. And Carter said, but they asked more probing questions. And they said if their doctor were to call them and let them know, hey, we got you on the schedule, we, we want to get you vaccinated, we think this is a smart move, the 80% of them would get vaccinated. And, uh-huh. you know, Carter and I yeah. were thinking, it's, 
you know, maybe that's what it's going to take. You know, maybe it's going to take getting the vaccines in some of just the local doctor's hands and just calling people up and having the nurse call them and say, hey, we got you in for a wellness visit. At the same time, we, you know, you probably need to get this and just maybe educate. It, I just think there's so many extreme stories being written on all sides of politics, vaccining, and people right. are making so much money off these stories. You know, there's actually companies. I was telling George, you'll, get, you'll find this interesting. They released this, a deal where there was a doctor in Florida. He had a company where he hired English majors to write both sides, you know, pro-vaccine stories mm-hmm. and anti-vax stories and, mm-hmm. you know, all these holistic medicine stories. And he's making 40. He's net worth over $100 million because he's writing these extreme stories on both sides and all sides, and you're getting these click-throughs and views. And the government right. tried suing him a couple of times, and I guess, you know, they haven't really won because, you know, and he creates all these multiple accounts that are fictitious type of right. accounts. But, you know, it's just impossible to vet or know what the hell you're reading anymore, if it's true, not true, if it's traded just to get click-throughs and views. I don't know. Who knows? So. As, yeah, as a lot of this content is. I mean, and like you said, conflict sells. And, and I think you, you said this in another podcast at one point. You know, it, it's not difficult to, to, to get people fearful of change. Change is, you know. And so if something yeah. is new and you've got, you know, these, these extreme voices out there, it's good, it's bad. It's, yeah, I mean, you can create uncertainty, and, and with uncertainty comes fear. And, and I don't know, I mean, I'm trying to give – you know, sort of the benefit of the doubt in the lines of thinking for a lot of people. Um, and at the same time, you know, there'll come a point in time where I think we've, we've got to societally kind of call the question here, like, okay, look, there, you know, hundreds of millions of people globally are getting this vaccine, and here's where we are, and here's what we need in order to not have to wear a mask. Right. I hate wearing masks. So, I mean, I, you know, it, it, I'll, I'll wear a mask, you know, because we, you know, <laughs> because we're following the guidance of professional, you know, immunologists and healthcare providers and that kind of thing. But gosh, I really don't like it. <laughs> you yeah. know, anyway, anyway. Yeah. So Jordan, what do you, Jordan, what do you hear in the younger kids say? Cause you were just down in Texas and you said most of your buddies don't have the vaccine. Yeah. I'd probably say, you know, probably the 21 to 35, um, more than not don't have the vaccine yeah for what reason i don't really know i guess a lot of i think a lot of mindset is i've already had it so no reason to go get it i'm not really sure what that's about but for the most part a lot of people who have it are uh people working in healthcare who are obviously required to have it and uh people who employers are wanting them to have it so I mean, if no one's really telling them to get it, they're not going to get it. Um, I would yeah. say a very small mm-hmm. percentage of people actually have gone and getting it because they wanted to get it and feel it's the right thing to do. So, um, Hey, Matt, you you get a kick out. I told the kids, so my dad's not having My dad comes to town there once every couple of years. He's, kind of, he's a hardcore dude. He's in Vietnam and just grew up, we, we grew up with no money, really. Yeah, and he's a hardcore guy. So I, I was kind of, I wasn't sure how he was going to go on the vaccine thing, right? And I talked to him, and he's like, well, hell yeah, I went and got the vaccine. First some bitches down at the VA to get it, you know. He's like, 
And uh, he's like, I can't can't stand these people. Can't can't get the vaccine. I said, What do you mean by that, Dad? And he's like, Damn, your grandpa served in World War Two, four years. He had to do some really bad things. And he's like, you know, I, I, I served in Vietnam for it. I had to do some. He's like, shit, I wasn't sure if I was going to be alive half every night over there. And he's like, your country's asking you to get two shots in the arm? You can't do that? Goddamn. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with these people. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, I guess that's I never thought about it that way. But no, I said, I guess yeah, that's I like that. <laughs> yeah, and he's, he's pointing his finger at me and my generation. He's like, what the hell's wrong with your generation? He's like, we're all we're all eighty nine percent vaccinated now. He's like, you're gonna eat. You guys can't even go get two damn shots in your arm. I'm like, well, that's interesting, Dad. I, I guess you should go out and tell people that. <laughs> so anyway, good, pers- uh, good perspective. He's, he's, yeah, oh, he's saying man. that to my sister's kids. My sister's kids, uh, the boys are still in college, and both of them got COVID down at school and. They haven't gotten the vaccines yet. My sister and her husband have, but the boys kind of have it. And they're kind of balking on it. And that was the speech my dad laid on. <laughs> Your country needs you to do this. I was like, wow, okay. Too funny. Old school. So, interesting stuff. But Yeah, hey, we're probably getting close on our time, aren't we, Jordan? Or... Yeah, we're right about. We've been on here right about an hour, I think. So. Yeah, so. Anything else we're going to touch on? Or you got any good books, Matt, or anything new you're reading? Or? Oh, you know, I'm almost done with uh, Principles, Ray Dalio. I don't know yeah, if I mentioned I did, that yeah, to you. I've that. sort of slowly gone through it. Man, uh-huh. great book. Really, really yeah. terrific book. Um, yeah, he highly can, recommend. Dalio, he can get out there sometimes. Uh, you know, that whole transcendental meditation he does and everything. But, boy, what a success story he's been, so. You yeah, know, for sure. Yeah, really good. I just picked up a new Adam Grant book, Think Again, so I think I'm going to try that out. Oh, yeah. He wrote, uh, you know, he's a Wharton professor. He wrote this book, Originals. I really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, I read it. About. Yeah, yeah. I, really I like his stuff. So. It's, it's, yeah, I like his way of thinking, too, so he's pretty good. Jordan got me one uh, for Father's called Hot Seat. Uh, it was the GE CEO, Jeff M. and. I'm just getting into it. It's supposed to be really, really good. I've, I've had a lot of people recommend it to me, so it uh-huh. should be Yeah. So There's a new one out, too, by the way, on GE and kind of the fall of GE. I, I read the summary, kind of like a biography of the, I wouldn't say demise, but sort of the, the fall from its height um, over the yeah. course of a couple decades. I just read the 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 reviews for it on Amazon and it was uh it was pretty interesting. I'm kind yeah, of intrigued. Yeah, it's well, I can only imagine how tough it is. Just like Mary Barr at G at GM, you know, it you know, I I heard so many people throughout life be like, you know, it, it's a lot easier to get to the top than it is to stay at the top. And boy, I, I can only imagine with a company of those sizes and scales trying to pivot right. and stay ahead and everyone's chasing you. Yeah, it's just really, really tricky and tough. So, for sure. But yeah, yeah, cool, Jordan. I guess that you know, hey, wrap it up until next time. And I'm excited. Jordan's already started calling producers about these beans, Matt. So we're gonna we're gonna try and get more acres on our end. And we're excited when you guys roll out the stuff about the peas in August. And hey, I think we're all going in the right direction here. So, yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I'm eager to. 
eager to engage more guys and um, really appreciate your support. And uh, thanks for having me on. As always, I've enjoyed thanks. it. Good luck. All right, Matt. See All you. Right, take Bye. care. All right. Bye. See you. Appreciate it. Bye.